Hey zombies, and welcome to another episode of the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast. This is episode number 306 for August of 2019, and today we're going to talk about maybe the scariest thing in horror films. We're going to talk about cults, because not cults, like Indianapolis cults. I'm from Indiana, so sometimes they kind of sound similar. I'm talking cults, C-U-L-T-S. These are uh, the bane of every horror fan's existence because they're scary as hell and they can happen in real life. Kind of weird. Today, we're going to be looking at the 2019 release, Midsummer, which in some places may still be in theaters. So, spoiler alert, if you've listened to the show before, you know we're going to spoil everything about the freaking movie. So if you haven't seen the movie and you want to see the movie, maybe skip ahead to our second movie, which is from 1982, and it's a video nasty entitled The Midnight about a satanic cult. And when I think of cults, I only think of one man, one man only, and that man is the host of Considering the Cinema Podcasts. Welcome back to the show, Mr. J of the Dead. Oh, thanks, Ron. I really appreciate you having me on this show again, especially since you're going to be talking about cults. I love this topic, and I um, am happy to discuss Midsummer with you. Yes, I am a full-fledged member of the Jay of the Dead cult. <laughs> right. I don't know. Does it sound like I'm saying cults, like Indianapolis cults, like a, the football team cults? Yeah, I hear I hear what you're talking about, because there, there's a film I love. It's a beastly freak film. It's called Pig Hunt. And I'm always having to really enunciate pig <laughs> hunt <laughs> to make sure that, you know, because if you say that fast, it's kind of awkward. Uh, it's this Indiana accent, <laughs> you know, it, it, I can't get, I unfortunately can't get rid of it. Born and bred. I, wow. I, I've done my best. Uh, I don't think that I sound like a hick. No. <laughs> when there's a lot of people here that sound way more hickish than this. But sometimes when I'm editing the show. Mm hmm. I'll catch myself in edit. I'll be like, "Oh, that sounded really hickish." I guess <laughs> right? I guess you're from Indiana, pal. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I'm from West Virginia originally, and it, it's not that I don't love West Virginia. I'm proud of being from there, but I don't like the way people talk there. And so I've always, even when I was young, like from like about fourth grade, I was careful to try to not talk like a West Virginian, but I still do sometimes. West Virginia, a little, here's a little fun fact uh, about me, Jay. West Virginia Mm -hmm. is one of the three states that I've been in, but have not peed in. Oh, really? Yeah. So West Virginia, Rhode Island, and Delaware, I've been through them and I did not, did not take a leak in those states. Well, we appreciate that. And, and I'm guessing that you went through um, I-70, right? Is that, is that where you... It was a, yeah, I was like 20. So probably, if you say that's the most likely way, that's probably what happened. Yeah, Interstate 70, because, yeah, that goes through the northern panhandle, and you're only in West Virginia for like 15 minutes before you go, you know, from Ohio across West Virginia to Pennsylvania or vice versa. Yeah, I, I, I think I've never actually stepped on West Virginia soil. Oh, okay. I think it's just like that, that. That's probably exactly what happened. But just the car ride for like twenty minutes never got out. <laughs> well, you're in for a treat one of these days. Something to look forward to. Of course. Yes. <laughs> so before we get to um, Midsummer, our 2019 movie release, I say when I restarted the podcast from the hiatus, I told everyone 
we'll be covering more newer movies. And I'm not kidding. This movie just came out last month. Yeah, it's my birthday movie, actually. It came out the day after my birthday. I was so excited. Yeah. But <laughs> since we're closing in on the Halloween season, and it's kind of, I don't know if it's like this out on the western part of the United States, but for some reason, I feel like this year, and it may just be the fact that I'm in contact with Shani Dreadful a lot, and she's kind of Halloween all year round. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like this year everyone decided Halloween started on August 1st. Yeah, I've noticed that. I won't look or purchase anything Halloween related until September 1st. I'm a big Halloween fan, obviously. It's kind of weird how it's got pushed back this year. I mean, the Halloween stores are already open. So in light of that, in light of this being the Halloween season, and, and I always associate, because of when I grew up, the Universal Monsters with Halloween. Oh. It's a big Halloween association with me. Uh, so let me ask you this, Jay. Because yeah. I'll be going to uh, Universal Studios next month to their Halloween Horror Nights event. Okay. Which is going to be really fun. I'll be hanging out at the Universal Monsters Cafe. Uh, and I believe Universal Studios Florida just announced they're having a third park. And I believe one of the rumored lands, right, for this amusement park is going to be a Universal Monsters themed land. Oh, nice. Which will okay. be, yeah, that'll be really cool. Uh, so in light of all of this, let me ask you this, Jay. Which of the Universal Monsters is your favorite? Oh, well, thanks for asking. I, uh, For sure, it would have to be um, Frankenstein's monster. I don't know how I knew this, but I somehow knew you were going to say that. Really? Really? I, I bet you I have a theory on why you may have known. It, it's because Frankenstein's monster is, for me, the most sympathetic. And I, I love when a a monster is sympathetic because the fact that you can appreciate on some level where that creature or being is coming from i I think that gives it so much more intrigue and it it almost makes you feel a little bit conflicted as a viewer because with frankenstein's monster for example i mean that dude it's not his fault that he's in existence he's confused it's awful <laughs> it's awful to be yeah. him you know yeah i feel, feel bad about that that's why that's how i feel every day i'm confused <laughs> i don't know what's going on right it's like you know i'm born and then it's like what the fuck is this and then i die <laughs> right that's well, life what, exactly Do you, what's your favorite just curious uh I'm, well also i'm gonna play the sympathy card as well um, i'm mm-hmm. not going in the same direction that you went but uh, my favorite Universal monster is the Wolfman. Oh, okay. okay. I've always thought Larry Talbot was a very sympathetic character as well. Yeah. Well, that's I'm that's with not, you. I'm really hairy, so <laughs> I may or may not be part werewolf at some point. Well, and and I love the the beastly freak aspect of of the Wolfman. I think that's pretty cool, and um, you know. And I'm a huge uh, Lon Chaney Jr. I mean, he was I was I just revisited High Noon that Western, and he's in that one. I I, I love him. Big fan. Had some uh, had some problems with the alcohol. Oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was normally really drunk on set. Like in, in fact, I believe a lot of his part was cut out of uh, Albert and Costello Meet Frankenstein because he was just so hammered all the time. Wow, I, I guess I didn't know that. Yeah. That's sad. 
But also, here's a little trivia about Lon Chaney Jr. He is the only one of the main Universal Horror Universal Horror um, monster stars that played all of the roles. Wow, because he's the only he's the only man who played the Wolfman. Uh, he yeah. played Frankenstein's monster. He played Dracula, not a very good Dracula, by the way, unfortunately. Um, and he yeah. also played uh, the Mummy. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that. To be honest with you, I'm not up on this. Well, no, we we did we did all four of those on the old version of Resurrection of Zombie Seven. So, oh, cool. Okay. You learn Before little bits was... of trivia here and there. Yeah, that's neat. Know it. So there you go, Wolfman and Frank Science Monster. Very two excellent choices, by the way, for us. Yay us. Right. Um okay. uh, two from from classic horror to newer horror to cult horror. Let's talk a little bit about this little movie I like to call Midsummer. <laughs> uh you know why I call it that, Jay? Because <laughs> that's the title. It's the title of the movie. Right. So we that's why that's how I usually call movies by their titles a lot. That's good of you. Um, if I went and saw it again, I would call it nap time, probably. Oh, yeah, really? But uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get into Whoa. that. I mean, here, here's the thing, Jay. Whoa, I was uh, not expecting that. Here's the <laughs> thing. Unlike you, uh, even though I have, I at your behest, I did go into a movie theater with you and saw a terrible, terrible, horrible movie <laughs> that you gave right. zero, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I was not a fan. On a scale of one to ten, uh, you gave it a zero. But yeah, um, Blair Witch, right? Yeah. Blair Witch, yeah. I um, am not a fan of going to the movie theater. People are jerks. Usually, I'm going to get out of there. I'm going to see a crappy movie. I'm going to spend two. I'm going to spend a lot of money uh, comparatively to what I could spend it at my home. The movie will be on streaming in a couple months. So it takes, you know, a pretty good movie to get me out to the movie theaters. Either I'm watching mm-hmm. the movie for a podcast, like if, uh, you know, when if I was on, I went and saw, I, what was the movie I went and saw? I was we when I when I did um, horror movie podcast for you guys. Uh, I went and saw whatever movie we were in the theater. Oh, oh, uh, yes, yes, I know. It was know years ago, about. so I mean, I would remember it. No, 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 it was it was The Conjuring. It was one of the it Conjuring was, universe no, it, films. I think it was The Conjuring. Okay, yeah, The yeah. Conjuring. Good memory, Jay. Well, I, yeah. I, you were great on that episode. So I, was I should mention, here's a, here's a little plug uh, for uh, my website, my other website, not zombie7.com. Please read zombie7.com as well. But my blog site, ihatestuff.net, I went through the entire Conjuring universe one movie at a time. Yeah, they're not good. That's, you, that's, you do not like The Conjuring That is not universe, a good universe, no. Wow, I'm surprised. Boy, you, uh, you've you already shocked me twice tonight. I'm going to say probably uh, um, everybody I know, at least, and probably most of the people that you know. I don't know who all you know. But being a s- student of the paranormal, being a ghost hunter, I've always followed the teachings and the adventures of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a big Vera Farmiga fan because, oh, you know, yes. I'm a man <laughs> that likes women. And she's a very attractive <laughs> lady. Uh-huh. Uh, but I really, but she's a very good actress as well. Um, right. But yeah, right. but those movies, yeah, not, no. That's a little mini review. If you guys want to get more into <laughs> the Conjuring universe, especially Annabelle, the first one, oh my God, that's one of the worst five movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that's all available on IHateStuff.net. For Midsummer, I was very excited for this movie, Jay. 
Okay. Usually my trips to the theater are reserved for the new Star Wars film for my wife's birthday. We went and saw the, the live action Aladdin. Mm-hmm. You know, Jessica makes me take her to a movie here and there. Right. Uh, I'll go see re-releases like the Muppet movie was just re-released. Hocus Pocus gets re-released in October. Usually the Wizard of Oz gets re-released in uh, November. Safe movies, movies I know I already like. But I will say this, uh, in the last probably 10 years, five years, six years, two of the best horror movies I've seen have been The Witch and Hereditary. Oh, yeah. And they both come from A24, and Hereditary was directed by Ari Oster, mm-hmm. who also wrote and directed this film, which is also yeah. an A24 film. Mm-hmm. So I was super looking forward to this. I went and saw it in the theater, and it takes a lot to get me to go see a movie in the theater, as I've mentioned before. So there's right. the backstory leading to this. And I was like, you know, it's Jay's birthday coming up. I think that he'd want me to go see this in the theater. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, you know, we went out. I toasted to your birthday. We went and saw Midsummer. I saw it. You're, mid- m- in the, you're in- messing with me. I know you did. <laughs> I mean, I believe you went, but I, I, I didn't know you were aware it was my birthday. That's but you don't know that I wasn't. <laughs> well, that's true. It could go I mean, either I, way. I can't confirm. Now you probably go to the movies once a week, right? Once every two Correct. weeks. No, once a week, every single. Are week. you at a point now where you've seen every movie in the theater? You get to wait for the new releases, like Hammer. Oh no! Actually, I mean, because each week there are typically between two to three wide releases. And I only see one per week, you know. I, I don't actually get to all of them before they leave the theater, unfortunately. I've never, ever had that be the case where I've seen every movie in the theater, even when I was going a whole lot. Mm. It'd be hard to do. Yeah, I used to. When I was reviewing um, movies for a newspaper, um, I actually, yeah, at that time, I was seeing everything in the theater, which is great. But, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. But not now. Mm-hmm. So I was really looking forward to Midsummer because I liked the director. I liked the production company. I didn't know any of the actors. I know that Florence Pugh played the professional wrestler in the Fighting With My Family film. Yes. Which yes. I have not seen, even though, uh, you know, I'm kind of a quasi-wrestling fan. Oh, yeah. I say quasi because I'm in and out. I, I know the people, but I don't really watch it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I get it because that's how I am. I'm really like an 80s wrestling fan. Yeah, 80s. yeah, me too. But um, but I did see Fighting With My Family, and she was fantastic in it. For whatever reason, I wasn't familiar with her as an actress before that, and I was so impressed. I actually thought she was some gal who was a great wrestler, and they pulled her out of that world. So when I saw that she actually has an acting career, and that was just one role, mm-hmm. I was extremely impressed. And Well, she's a stage actress, I believe, mostly. Yes. So she plays an English professional wrestler uh, kind of a kind of um played somewhat for laughs right mm-hmm. at least the yeah. the little clips i saw were most were kind of for laughs yeah um, that's a drama comedy sports movie and then in this one it's a completely different situation and i will say that i think that she does what she's told to do very well yes I would not be adverse to seeing 
her in more films. For sure. Yeah. That goes for anyone in this film. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. Because I thought that, I thought the acting was strong. Agreed. And and it's a young cast, and for as young as they are, um, I really felt like there was a lot of nuance in their performances, especially Florence Pugh as Danny. Sure, she was by and far the the best. Right. Uh, but no one was bad. Here's another yeah. little fun fact for you, Jay. Tell it. Will Poulter, who played the very <laughs> disrespectful, uh, antagonistic, yes, um, antagonistic, annoying uh, character of Mark, was at one point scheduled to play Pennywise in the new It films. Oh wow! Uh, but for some reason or another, he they recast the role. I think when they changed directors the first time, they recast the role. Yeah, I you know I worry about that guy. <laughs> I, he, he's a, he's a really good actor, and the reason I worry about him is he keeps taking these, um, for lack of a better word, these douchey roles. Sure. And and I think that people are going to just start not liking him in general because of the awful roles he plays. And I mean awful by character, not by performance, because he's he's very good at selling, you know, being a jerk. Sure. Or whatever. Sure. So I'm worried it's going to affect his career negatively um so this movie pretty much focuses on the relationship between danny and her boyfriend christian Mm -hmm. it's a relationship that's on the rocks danny realizes from the very first scene that she seems to be pushing christian away with her uh, mental issues and christian is for lack of a better term super weak (laughs) Like he's just a, he's just he has he's weak willed. He doesn't want to be in this relationship, but he's too much of um, he's too much of a pussy to get out of it. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you a question about it. just uh, you know man to man, your opinion of him in, in the beginning of the film. As you see, is that really is that how you feel about him, or do you feel like he's? Because to me, he seemed pretty typical, and it seemed like he was a decent guy at first. But he wasn't really sure how to navigate these waters with this girl who has a lot of, you know, um, struggles in her life. Well, we should go ahead and mention the the opening scene to the film is Danny's sister commits suicide and kills her parents with her. Oh, my goodness. It was a super emotional moment. It, it, it was not as hard to watch as the scenes from Hereditary. Uh, but still... You still feel you still feel for Danny uh, quite a bit at that point, and she has you know a mental breakdown as anyone probably would. And Christian is there with her, but he's just there with her because he feels like he has to be there with her. I believe that's that's the sense that I got. He's doing yeah. his best uh, mm-hmm. to comfort her, but he's kind of I the feeling you get is he's just doing it because he feels like he's her boyfriend. He has to. Right. It was almost like as the film opened, he was about ready to get out of that relationship. Correct. It was almost like his friends had him talked out of it. But then once this tragedy happened to her, I think he felt like it, uh, obliged. He was obligated to stay. But um, can I ask you a question, Ron? Because yeah. and that's about this beginning suicide <clears throat> opening. We're in the we're in the spoilers 
right. We can. It's okay to talk. All yeah, I said spoiler way at the beginning. So if they're okay. still if they're still around, I mean, they deserve what they get. Okay, I'm just making sure. Uh, so, um, I've heard theories, and I wonder if you share this theory that that beginning scene was not actually a suicide, that it was actually a murder, and it was orchestrated by um, Helle in order to help get Lawrence, get Danny on this trip. Hmm. Because there are, there are some things that I've heard theories. I talked to Jody horror guy. Who's a, you know, a friend of our podcasting community. And he was saying when we talked about this, that that, that little flower crown thing is in the background there in that house like you can see it in the house like it was left there okay and um yeah so that one of the theories is that he actually kind of instigated all that now me personally i i that seems plausible but i like the film better if it's genuinely a suicide it's much more chilling to me I would be on the side of the fence that I would. It's a, the suicide murder aspect. I don't think that he was involved. This, I, this is my first time hearing that theory, though, so I'd have to rewatch it or, or mm-hmm. think it out. Uh, because yeah, because there was a history of suicidal uh, right. thoughts from her sister. Like there was a history of phone calls and and Agreed. emails that had happened over the course of well years from what Danny was saying. Yeah, I. I agree with you. I, I like that. I think it works just fine. But, mm-hmm. but this is also something that we've come to expect from an A24 film and from an Ariaster film. Right. Yes. Like, well, when I saw Hereditary for the first time, uh, when we covered that earlier on this, like a few months ago, we covered that on this podcast. Um, like that just blindsides you. Yeah, but when I knew Ariaster was involved with this, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, honestly. And I knew it was an A24 film, like I kind of expected, because they were kind of, you know, hey, here's a here's a family drama, we're gonna throw some horror into it, which makes it even harder to me, mm-hmm. uh, makes it uh, much more emotional and, and gets you much more emotionally involved in the film than say, like, you know, a slasher film. Or even, yeah. or even like a paranormal film. Yeah, I feel like that tragedy, you know, losing her sister and her parents all in one fell swoop, yeah, is that thing that I, I like to talk about where a lot of times a horror character, uh, horror happens to those who deserve it least. And I feel like the, the last thing that this girl needs or deserves is this awful experience in Sweden that she's about to have. <laughs> well... Let's let's move on to that area. Her boyfriend is planning a trip to Sweden uh, with mm-hmm. all of his graduate student friends. Uh, they're going to a midsummer celebration uh, in some commune in a in a area of Sweden that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Uh, Helsingland, I think that's what they said it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pele, the guy you mentioned before, he's a member of the commune. He's invited them into the to their cele- their midsummer celebration this this particular celebration this kind of celebration they're having only happens once every 90 years so they say so it's but... a very special event uh, i believe that 
Uh, their friend Josh is doing his thesis paper on sort of these um, communes in what started out was going to be several of them in Europe, and then he decided he wanted to focus just on this one. Yes. Later in the film. So it's going to be educational for all of them. Uh, just a fun trip for the rest of them, like uh, Mark, who is your, I think, atypical kind of college douchebag kind of a guy. <laughs> right. Uh, and is there, obviously, to provide some comic relief. Yes. <laughs> Which you kind of need in a film that's this heavy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Christian, who's Danny's boyfriend, is also going uh, as one of the guys. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do his thesis on. Uh, Danny finds out and sort of kind of pressures him to invite her to the get-together in mm-hmm. Sweden. Uh, their relationship is really, to overuse the word, annoying. Because it's all, I mean, I don't want to bring it up, but let's let's just talk about this. I mean, it's fine. Whatever. Okay, yeah. Right. And that's probably more realistic <laughs> to what actual relationships are like, honestly, in the real world. For sure. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, but also... It's a movie I would like my characters to be a little more definitive and a little stronger. Like, one of my mm. problems with this film, and you'll see by the end of it, I mean, you already know, like, and I'm sure everybody listening already knows, but one of my problems with this film is I don't believe that there's anyone to root for here. And why is that, Ron? Because I don't like Danny. You don't like? Oh, what? What is it you don't like about her, though? You don't feel she's sympathetic? I feel like she's not... I. She is a sympathetic character, and then it goes too over the top, and at the point I'm just like, oh my gosh, she's having another freaking nervous breakdown again. <laughs> Which, again, is probably real to real life. But <laughs> if I want real life, I'll stand out on the street corner. <laughs> you know, I, I think this film greatly suffers from lack of editing. Oh, so you... Yeah, I mean, the the fact that it has like a two-and-a-half-hour runtime, you feel like it's a little too indulgent in its... I think it's a lot indulgent. I think the word I used coming out of the film was, that was very arrogant of Ari Oster. Well, I mean, it's bold, that's for sure. And and on some level, honestly, I do agree that the film feels very long, especially a second viewing. I, I saw it in the theater twice. And You're a, you're a brave man... To you're a brave man to take on those theater seats for three hours twice. Yeah, I did. But the the thing is, and this was really interesting. Um, there is so much detail in this film throughout. There are so many more seeds than I ever caught the first time. So I I caught a ton more. So it is definitely worth revisiting. And I bet I bet it was so rich with content. That if I saw it again, and I will eventually, but if I saw it like a third and fourth time, I think I would still pick up stuff in it. So what I will say is the pacing, it it is like a a slow burn, but I feel like I wasn't bored at all. And I feel like he's he's going, he's building and getting somewhere the entire time. Oh, I was bored. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was way bored. Like, I was like... (laughs) I think we're five hours into this movie now. I don't even know what time it is. I don't know how much time has passed. I may be a year older at this point. That's funny. Um, like, I feel like... So it's two hours and 40 minutes. Okay? I feel like if it was an hour and 40 minutes, 
and there was easily enough things to cut out to make it an hour and 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. That I then then you have Danny as a strong sympathetic character that you don't get sick of because maybe she only has three nervous breakdowns instead of twelve, <laughs> right? But um, th- there's one thing I say. I mean, especially since your theme in this episode is cults, it's it seems to me that when someone gets uh, drawn into the cult scenario, it's usually a person. Who, who doesn't have the kind of like family or friends support that an average person would. And then they, they slowly get lured in and not just lured, but then they become like entangled and then they become like the cult gets their hooks in them. And I feel like because this film does take its time, we, we get a really good sense and understanding of how she goes from being Danny on the outside who doesn't really want to do mushrooms or whatever when she first arrives to becoming the may queen who's executing death you know like i know you're gonna get that but i'm just saying i feel like it's more credible since they take their time i think you could have got that story across with an an hour less (laughs) i really think somebody i read a review of this where someone said i mean agreed with the fact agreed with what i'm saying that was it's overbloated um and Mm -hmm. said that this was Basically, a victory lap from Ari Arster for Hereditary, mm. and that's kind of how I felt about it as well. I kind of felt that he he directed an amazing film last year, so he feels like he can do whatever he wants to do in this film, and no one's going to tell him differently. And you know, <laughs> by the reviews it's gotten, and by it standing on like Rotten Tomatoes, whatever, it seems like I'm in the minority, which is you know I'm used to that. That's fine, right? But I didn't, you know, I didn't care for Mark because he's a jerk. I didn't care for Josh, and we'll get to why later. He was good for most of the film, and then after, you know, jeez. Oh, and then Christian is just a weak, weak character, and Pele, uh, there's reasons that we'll get to. I just stopped caring for, about Danny after her, four, like, fourth nervous breakdown. <laughs> right. Well, I agree with you that all the characters are flawed in some way and have a, a dark side or a selfish side. I mean, they, they have unsympathetic characteristics for sure. And when you're sitting in a theater for three hours <laughs> with no one to root for. Yeah. You know. But did you feel this this sense of just dread and impending doom? I mean, my complaint when I first walked out of the theater was I would have liked to have seen actual more horror action, like more kills on screen and maybe spread earlier in the film and throughout the film so i get a little more of that but even though that's not the case i did feel dread the entire time thinking oh this is gonna this is not gonna end well this is gonna go south fast yeah no exactly that's i did feel that um and i kept waiting for that other shoe to drop right i kept waiting Mm -hmm. for that moment that i was just gonna be wowed and it was gonna be worth the hype and worth all the weight and worth coming to the movie theater for. And then the, you know, by the fifth or sixth hour that I'm sitting there, I'm just, I was just waiting for it to end. (laughs) So I went past the point of waiting for that moment, that climactic moment in the movie to, I'm just, I just need this to be over because my back hurts because I've been sitting in this chair for too long. I got to (laughs) pee, you know, 
what did Ron? What did your theater audience, or those who accompanied you, what? what how did people react to this film? Did was uh, that, it interesting? It was not a very large audience that I watched the movie with. It was probably there was probably twenty people, twenty five people in the in the theater, and I I saw this the second weekend it came out. Yeah. Um. We when the lights came on and everybody left, I just heard one person. I don't know who it was cause from the back of the room say, "What the hell did I just watch?" Right. <laughs> so I think that the general consensus in the room I was in anyway was pretty much the same as mine. Gotcha. But in the in the movie, you know, they get to Sweden, they decide to do some drugs, and I feel like that could have been a five minute clip, and it was like a twenty minute clip. That's one area where I think they could have taken. We don't need to see mm-hmm. them on the plane. I know Danny has a breakdown on the plane, but she has a breakdown everywhere she goes. So, right, yeah, no, I agree with the drug sequence. That didn't need to be that long. I agree with that. Yeah, that could have lasted like a couple minutes. You introduced them to the new, the other characters, the two people from London, Pele's brother character, and then we get about I don't know. It seems like an hour's worth of them sitting at a table throughout the film, <laughs> waiting to eat. <laughs> But okay, so with with some of these things, though, I do feel like there was purpose, like in in both the things you just said, like with the drugs, I I agree, I get kind of tired of like watching the drug sequences, but I I really feel like the point was this community is often on some sort of substance or under some sort of influence, and so that's also how, how these visitors were able to be you know, breached and get their guards taken down. And then with the table, like sitting at the table run, I feel like that was important to show that this community has these cultures and customs. It's weird and awkward. And they just basically follow along to watch what everybody does. And I think that established this pattern of them following the lead of the, the weirdo community. Oh, I'm not disagreeing with that. Right. I just I just think they were overly long and self-indulgent. Okay. And the, I think that you could have got the message across in about a quarter of the time mm-hmm. that they spent. And I understand there are a lot of Easter eggs, you know, in this film. Like, there are many films. Uh, but like I said, when we reviewed the first It movie last year, yeah, there's a ton of Easter eggs. That's great. But I don't give a crap about Easter eggs unless you get the main movie right. Those are extra things that should people should be able to look for when the main movie is good enough to watch again. Hmm. Okay, well that's fair enough. And some of the Easter eggs they're pretty obvious, like the bear you know is going to come into play again. And when the you see the tape, the tap, you know, what's it the the tapestry that has the yeah the story of how how to make someone love you. We see that play yeah. out. I mean, when you saw it, you knew that was going to play out. For sure, yeah. And in fact, the bear is in, there's a painting or a picture of a bear and a child in the opening sequence in the very beginning of the film. So there's a big bear there. It's kind of echoed later, you know. Yeah, But that's, yeah, that's one of those Easter eggs you were talking about. And then the middle part of the movie is basically these guys wandering around this field and Danny crying all the time. (laughs) Which again... You know, hey, I get it. She lost her family. This is a very super traumatic moment. But I already get it. You know, you don't have to beat it into me. I just got tired of seeing her on my screen because I knew that's what was going to happen. So, Ron, okay, so I got to ask you something because 
the thing is, I I believe I know you're a tough critic, but I also believe you're a fair critic. Yeah. Okay, that's just my two cents. So, do you feel like that maybe when you saw this film, you were a little bit like feeling impatient or uncomfortable? Like maybe you had to run to the restroom, or maybe your chair sucked that you were sitting in. <laughs> my chair so did. Therefore, my chair did suck. I'll tell you that. Uh, okay. Okay. See, because that contributes, <laughs> and so maybe that made you a little a little more dismissive than you might otherwise be. Just ask. Um, I understand why you. I understand why you would say that. I will tell you this: probably the first hundred minutes of this film, I was like a wide-eyed child. It's like. This is A24 and Ari Aster, and this is going to be great. I just got to wait for it to happen. Right. And then after like 110 minutes, I was like, it's not going to happen, is it? It's just not. <laughs> it's just not going to. <laughs> okay. So I okay. gave up on the film at that point. Mm. And, you know, you might say, hey, you got to wait till the end. But my my take would be if you, if, I, if you lose me at 110 minutes and you haven't done your job as a filmmaker. Mm. Okay. We do right. get some subplots. Uh, we do learn that what's the, the the redhead girl? I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Do you know her name? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. So but there's she... this there's this redhead girl who has a crush on Christian, mm-hmm. and throughout the film, um, she does all of the all of the things that her commune does, uh, as far as some sort of love spell. She leaves like little trinkets under his bed. Uh, at some point, she puts her pubic hair in his food. Which, which we all love and appreciate. Yeah, when that, yeah. <laughs> love interest does that for us. I mean, I've eaten so many pube hairs, I can't even tell you. <laughs> you can't um, even count <laughs> at this point. Uh, and then you know he drinks a drink that has is mixed with her period blood, which is lovely. At the same time, I'm like, come on, your drink is so much different looking than everybody else's. Why are you not questioning this? Right. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not like. Taking points off for that, I just I was just like, dude, what are you doing? Obviously, your drink is so much different looking than everyone else's. It's probably got <laughs> little things floating around in it. Oh, um, so that's happening. Mark has a crush on one of the ladies, which goes absolutely nowhere. Honestly, then that's a subplot that could have been completely cut out of the film. Right. Um, he does ma- he does manage to, for some reason, uh, take a piss on a. <laughs> A fallen log, which is the a log that they where they put the ashes of their ancestors, and it draws the ire of many of the people who uh-huh. live in the commune. And this one guy, especially, uh, seems to hate him. Right. Um, yeah, and he was such a jerk about it too. I mean, I, if I had done that, I would have been so gracious and apologetic. But he was just like. What? It's just a tree. What? Like, you know, like he was such a jerk. <laughs> Put your stupid American penis back in your pants. <laughs> oh, that was a great scene, though. Here's another thing. Here's another issue I have with the film. It's completely predictable. Yeah, I'll give you that. I mean, you can you have a good sense of where it's going. You don't even so. have to be a horror fan to know these people are going to go to this commune these commune people are actually going to be a cult they're all going to get murdered <laughs> right and that's yeah. that's what happens yeah spoiler I, alert that's what happens i do not put myself in these types of situations in my life <laughs> exactly and that's why we're still around jay that's right even that's though right. you know it says jay of the dead 
Right. It's not Jay. He's dead because he did something stupid. <laughs> exactly. But the first notion you get in the film uh, that something's a little off, and again, completely predictable. When we see two old people during some sort of ceremony, uh, they get special food and they get carried off. They have to climb a cliff. We all know they're going to jump off, right? Yeah. When we all saw the guy with the giant hammer, <laughs> we know that he's going to hammer somebody's head. <laughs> but but come on, Ron, you're you weren't you weren't happy about that. That wasn't exciting to you as a horror fan. You weren't. It, no, it, it was, and I and I enjoyed the close-ups of the gore. Yeah. But again, it took like 10 minutes for them to jump off that cliff while nothing happened. Yeah. Like the suspense was- build, and then by that point, I was just kind of like, oh, just do it. Like, I'm over this. So I ref- Yeah, I refer to that a lot of times as like the bubble of suspense. So you're saying you held it out too long, the bubble popped. I think a lot but- too long, honestly. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, because I I was there the whole time, because I was thinking, nah, nah, surely, well, surely it's gonna happen, but maybe not. Really, like you know, I just kept going back and forth. It was nuts. That scene's incredible. And I'm and I'm usually a very patient film watcher. <laughs> like, like well, somebody like Hammer, he doesn't like The Exorcist because it takes too long to get to the cool stuff, right? Yeah, it but, does have a long. But I'm way okay with building up a story. Like, I like paranormal films. Sometimes paranormal films are too slow for some people, and then not enough deaths, you know? Um, Like Jessica, I think it's not her favorite. There's not enough murder for her. We all know she loves the murder. Yeah. I'm okay with a slow build, and I'm okay with building suspense, but this was just, I'm just like, come on, dude. Like, we have, I've been sitting here watching these old people stand on front of, on the, on this cliff for like 15 minutes now. Like, I could have went to the bathroom and came back. <laughs> they still would have been standing up there. Minutes. Really? You're going to say it was 15 well, minutes? Well, I'm, I'm over exaggerating to make a point. Okay, okay. <laughs> I just don't, if, if there are, listeners who haven't seen it and they're using this review to judge whether they should see it well if you haven't seen you it know. you shouldn't be listening to this review <laughs> Not well yet. it doesn't really right. matter because everything you think is going to happen does happen so that's true that's true and then at that point the two londoners that were brought over by um christians i'm not i'm sorry not christian pele's commune brother um they freak out rightfully so Right. And they're like, fuck this, we're out of here. Yeah. Um, and then they just disappear. Kind of stu- it- kind of stupidly. No, no, no. Well, didn't you feel like they were better, more accurate audi- audience surrogates for us? Like, their feelings and their reactions to what was going on was a lot more reflecting exactly how I was feeling and how I would act. And, oh, and I- it wasn't that they disappeared, it's that they were quote-unquote, disappeared. I mean, they right. were disposed of, of course. Right. And I, yes, I absolutely agree with you on that. But the man disappeared without the female, and then they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, he went into town. like, And she's like, well, he wouldn't do that. That seemed very forced and false to me. That whole segment with those two characters. They didn't play out um, like I think it should have played out like in real life. As distraught as they were, they slept another night and were split up. 
And okay, so spoiler alert, they're both dead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. But they're killed off screen. And we do see the remains of one of them. So and, you, well, and you can hear her screaming. Yeah, you when, hear her screaming. When she is murdered. And that's very chilling, I thought. And I, yeah, I didn't. I just didn't. You, that was wasn't chilling, chilling to you? No. no. Like it, it's, it's off in the background. And, and if you're not really tuned into the movie, you could honestly miss it. Well, like the characters somebody, react to it. Yeah, but it's 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 pretty subtle, and I was like impressed that Ari Aster was, um, I, I I guess, bold enough to, you know, keep that subtle like that because I feel like the way that they were singling them out and they would pull them in different directions. I mean, haven't you ever gone to a, a camp or a like some kind of church function where where there are like all these like various activities going on and they're pulling people in your sure. group right yeah yeah, yeah sure yeah and it's like well you would get disoriented and so it made sense to me that they didn't know who was where and who they were with what they were doing and so i i could see that well i've never been to a church camp where i witnessed two suicide slash murders <laughs> tried to leave the next day and then was separated from the only per- the only other person i know in the camp that well, has never it. happened to me you haven't been the very good church camp. Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently, I, my church camps were just swimming and captured the flag. Oh, no, that's that's not how we do in Utah. Wow, man. I guess <laughs> just, I need to go to Utah. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Mark also disappears. He follows this girl that he likes, right? Right. And disappears is, for hours at this point. Uh, which well, is the purpose of her right of that crush you were talking about yeah i mean kind of but it it is the purpose of her existence in the movie but at the same time i feel like that could have been i mean he was so out of whack with everybody else that Mm -hmm. you could have made any old reason why he walked off set i didn't need i didn't need to spend um you know 20 minutes 20 minutes on a fake relationship where he never even really talked to the girl Right. I mean, that's true. Especially and, and, especially with the climax of his storyline that we got, which is underwhelming. Yeah. So he's gone. Uh, the only... Uh, Pele is moving in on Danny because Christian is kind of being a douche to her. He forgot her birthday. He hasn't been paying much attention to her because he's dealing with this other girl who's kind of trying to move in <laughs> on him. He's also fighting with Josh. About because he wants to do his thesis on the same commune, and Josh has decided he wants to do his thesis on the same commune, and they both get to talk to the elders, and you know there's um, some inner group turmoil going on, uh, and right. so Pele's moving in, using that to move in um, on Danny, obviously making sexual passes at her. When I say sexual passes, like not forcing himself on her, but the intent is obvious. Yeah, he wants to get with her. Exactly. He wants to. He wants to put on that makeup and act like that English girl again, the wrestler. That's cosplay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but so at this point, really, the only likable character is Josh, because he's not really done a whole lot of anything, really, except for studying this commune. But he hasn't done anything to make the audience dislike him at this point. Yeah. Um. So an elder takes him into the temple, shows him all of the books. 
uh, he wants to photograph the books for his thesis, and the elder is like, it's very, very offended by that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get another story about the person who writes in the books, whom is a disfigured person that you probably have seen in the previews of the movie or on the poster. There's one poster of the movie that's just that that person's face. I, th- I think is it a guy or is it? A, I think it's a guy, right? Yeah, yeah, the oracle who is the um, child of an inbred couple, right? On, yes, yes. on purpose, exactly. Product of inbreeding. But again, that character doesn't play a role. We spent time on it. Could have easily have been. We did. That character has no purpose to the end of the film. Well, now the oracle subplot. That is... I mean, is it a subplot? Nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because, actually, Pele is tied in to this whole Oracle thing. Pele is an Oracle as well. Like, if if somebody ever ties you up and forces you to revisit this, Ron, <laughs> then, <laughs> then watch for that. Because Pele is an Oracle, even though he doesn't look deformed or whatever. He... He is one of these um, seers as well. Well, what makes you think that? Uh, let me see here. It's it, it it's some of the things that, that um, the other elders of that village say to him, and I don't have it right off the top of my head. But he says something to the effect about him being a seer as well, and and that also ties into this whole theory about at the beginning, you know, maybe he. Maybe he had something to do with the murder suicide at the beginning, but but anyways, yeah. If you're, and I'm sorry, I'm not supporting this very well at all. Now, but <laughs> but 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 honestly, like, um, yeah. The second time through, you know, you do pick up a, a little hints about that about he's an oracle, and and honestly, I wasn't even picking up on that. My buddy <clears throat> Jody Horror Guy was the guy who was like talking to me about this i'm like oh yeah that's right he did say that so yeah i should i i should ask joey well i didn't pick up i didn't pick up on that at all yeah it's um but i also don't think that he killed her parents so right right there's probably a lot of stuff going around about this character apparently i didn't think he was nearly as interesting as everybody else did um other than he's kind of scummy for trying to pick up on somebody else's girl one of his friends (laughs) girls anyway you, you so he lures his friends over there to be murdered, and you think he's scummy for? You know, well, I mean, at this point, the, at this point in the film, <laughs> okay. Yeah, obviously, by the end of the film, he's a horrendous person, right? right but okay. uh, yeah, at this point in the film, I'm with you. Um, so Josh, who's the at this point the only likable character, decides, "Yeah, I'm going to do something really shitty to make people not like me," <laughs> by sneaking into the temple and doing the one thing they ask him not to do, and take pictures of the you know the the books that they use that the oracle has written in right uh, so while he's doing this somebody walks in and they have mark's face over their face because mark's face has been ripped off of mark's body mm-hmm. while he was off screen again that happened off screen and then yeah. josh gets hit from behind and you know is killed as well that's the only one that really happens on screen uh to this point unless you count the people who did it who jumped off the cliff on purpose. I'm not the only death of the of the tourist. That's the only death we saw on screen to this point. Yeah. Um. So that, at that point, I was kind of like, "Well, you, that's what you deserve. You shouldn't have went into the temple, dumbass." Right. 
Yeah, that was pushing it for sure. And then we're we're leading into this whole the whole the whole May Queen uh, situation. They're set up with a dancing competition that Danny's made a friend. And one of these girls, and she pushes her into the competition, and the last lady standing becomes the May Queen. While this is going on, Christian gets drugged, basically. Right. Uh, well, he's uh, before this, he's also told that uh, he's going to mate with this redhead girl. Yes. Uh, because because their astrological uh, makeup is perfect for one another. Though I don't really know how they would know Christian's astrological makeup. There must have been a scene. That maybe they did cut one scene out of the movie where they told them the day and time and the place where they were born. <laughs> maybe mm. that is the one scene that got cut. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, that would have been actually an important scene since, you know, apparently they know everybody's astrological makeup. <laughs> um, so the entire commune sets up the situation where Danny becomes the May Queen. So she gets. This big celebration in her honor, and she gets taken out via uh, by a carriage to do May Queen type things, while Christian is seduced by this redhead girl, and basically every other woman in the commune. Right. It's all set up to where, so he can go into the temple uh, and have sex with this redhead girl, while all the other naked women. Watch and it's it's a it's a creepy sex scene in true A twenty four fashion. Like they don't hold anything back. Yeah, not not as uh, not as fun as it sounds at first blush, actually, because there's uh, you know older ladies there and people getting involved in weird ways. <laughs> there's one lady pushing on his butt. Yeah, like it's like man, I hate when that happens. I'm like, wait, come on, get off my butt, dude. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, that's it's pretty awkward. I mean, the, the reaction to the people in my theater the first time I saw this was hilarious because people did not know how to cope with their feelings at that moment because it's kind of awkward. It's kind of hilarious. It's kind of horrifying. It's kind of weird. But, you know, I, I think above all, it's not overly sexy <laughs> oh it's not yeah if you yeah. got if you got sexually excited during this film uh during that section of the film anyway <laughs> right maybe yeah. you, maybe we need to go have you talk to somebody about some things right exactly and and here's what's interesting i, I mean i think this is a strong r rated film i mean it, it put it almost pushes nc-17 in my opinion well i'm told just for that scene well, no, well, I mean that scene contributes significantly, but with with that coupled with some of the gore scenes, I mean it, it's it's almost there. But I'm told that Ari Aster actually is releasing a full blown, extended, NC-17 version. So, we're well, gonna hold anything back. Well, Jay, you go ahead and watch that. Get back to <laughs> right? me. Let me know how that was. I don't need a four and a half hour version of this film. Yeah. Just I mean, tell me if there was a scene where they found out their ast- their astrological makeup. That's all I need to know. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Shani Dreadful. Um, you know Chantel. 
mm-hmm. because awesome. we were um, we were both looking forward to the film, so we kind kind of had a back and forth about it. And she went to see it by herself a, a few days before I went and saw it, and she kind of gave me a um, Snapchat version of a review as she was walking back to her car from the movie theater, and she said that 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 sex scene freaked her out so much that she was just completely weirded out and felt and felt strangely after she left the theater because of that. <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you a little funny story. I saw it the first time with a dude that I had just met. <laughs> he was like a friend of my family. And I was going to see the film and I'm like, hey, are you a horror fan? And he's like, totally. I love horror movies. I'm like, well, you want to come with me? And so like I'm sitting by this guy that I, I don't even know at all. And so that, it was just weird. It just added to the weirdness of the whole experience. Well, I guess that's probably better than sitting next to your parents. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> or having your or having your mom there uh, smiling at you and coaching you along during that sequence. Like yeah, this young that, lady that one, did, yeah. Yes, that one lady was her mom, and I'm like, okay, that's not the one pushing the butt, or the one who uh, no, no, no. had the one who had him grab her boobs. Well, she, yeah, she was up front smiling. Um, she was very smiley, the mom, very proud <laughs> of this. And man, that was weird because this is supposed to uh, impregnate this young lady. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and the, her reaction as soon as it was all said and done, and she's like. I could feel the baby. That was very, um, I, I think, indicative of the the ignorance and innocence of that redheaded girl. So that that made it even creepier on another level was her naivete. Like I just thought that was. And at that point, I feel like she's kind of cold towards Christian. At that point, like what you're, you, I've used you for what I needed you for. Yep. You, you may leave now. Yep, she got what she needed. Uh, but while this is going on, and let me ask you this, Jay, because I got contradicting things going on in my head about this. Okay. Do you think that they made Danny the May Queen just to distract her so Christian could do this? Mm, no, no, I don't. Well, you don't, I, you don't think she won the May Queen competition fairly, like it wasn't set up. Well, n- no, but I do think that she was, quote unquote, meant to be the May Queen. I think that Pele saw her in one of his oracle visions. I think he knew ahead of time that she was supposed to be the May Queen. So I, I think it was. So you think it was just coincidental that she had to go out and do the May Queen traditional things as her uh, boyfriend uh, is having sex with this virgin? No, no, no. It's uh, see. This is what I think. Do you remember how in like American history studies or whatever you learned that you know when the the Native Americans would hunt bison, for example, they would use every part of the bison. And, and, you know, not leave any waste behind. You remember that in classes? Sure, sure, sure. Well, that's kind of a similar thing here. All of these victims, quote unquote, are brought oh, brought in, these guests who visit, and they all have a purpose. They're going to do things with all of them, you know, that are because they have to bring in outside people. And, and so I just think they were using every part of the, 
the bison, so to speak, by using the various guests for their various purposes. So, yeah, she was the May Queen. She was supposed to be the May Queen. And then the redheaded girl wanted to be impregnated by Christian. And so, yeah. So you don't think they care if Danny saw that her boyfriend was having sex with this other girl? Well, like the one the one uh, local townie girl, (laughs) the Swedish girl, who's like, yeah, you don't want to go. I don't think you should go see that. I think she was trying to protect Danny's feelings, honestly. Because I do think they cared about her on some level as a, a, you know, a, a member of their community that they're trying to bring in. So they tried to get her not to go look. But then when she did go look, anyway, I'll, you're probably getting to that. So I don't want to. Yeah. So, yeah. So she peeks through a keyhole or whatever. She sees her boyfriend having sex with this other Her boyfriend, whom that at best uh, was a relationship that was barely being held together. Right. And she knew that. Yeah. Um, and. Here's another thing I have, like, okay, I get it, your boyfriend's, you know, I'm using the air quotes here, I know you can't see it, cheating on you, Um, but she has the same reaction to seeing her boyfriend have sex with this redhead girl that she had to her entire family dying. It's the same reaction she has to everything. And now just like, oh, Jesus, are we doing this again? Is this what we're doing? I get it. It's not. It sucks okay. that your boyfriend had sex with someone else. But one, he was drugged, first of all. Yeah. Um, so he wasn't of right mind. Uh, and and you know, two. Yeah, that's a pretty strong reaction. It, your your life isn't over because your boyfriend had sex with this redhead mm-hmm. girl. Oh, Ron, I think that's a good criticism. I, I I think you have a point there, but I I do think that Ari Aster's function of that sequence of her like you know weeping and mourning was to show the communal weeping together you know that weird scene when they all got in sync with her weeping so i think they they wanted to it was really important to the filmmaker to put the communal weeping in there because that was weird and creepy unsettling and it also showed how she had become Part of the fabric of the community she was like tied in plugged into their network of weirdness their board <laughs> right yeah she was assimilated yes exactly uh well i mean that's that's a fair point that's a fair point i just i thought it was too much of an overreaction by her character yeah it, i mean there, there, yeah. there should have been some reaction for sure you know what i'm saying right uh, yeah but, i huh yeah, I wouldn't know how, if I were the director. I wouldn't know how to make a distinction between the two mourning scenes if I wanted to accomplish that, you know, assimilation effect of the the communal weeping. So, but yeah, I I do think you have a point there. It it wouldn't you wouldn't think that that fragile relationship cheating would equate to her three of her family members dying. Right. I mean, listen. I've been married. We're going to have our five-year anniversary here in about a month. Oh, if I walked in on my wife cheating on me, that would suck. But you know what would suck more? If my entire family died. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, and it's also, I know, I, I just have... Some people are really... That really messes with them. Like the whole cheating boyfriend-girlfriend thing. Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe I've just seen too much porn. I don't know. I'm just like, yeah, and he's had sex with that girl. Like, who cares? <laughs> right. 
but Christian, after he's done mating uh, with Maja, is that girl's name? I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a um, synopsis. Maja. Well done. Okay. Or Maja, maybe Maja. It's a J. Yeah. Isabel Grill. Yes. Okay. Uh, but whenever he's done mating with that uh, that person, he freaks out, runs out of the temple. He's completely naked. So if you're into full uh, frontal male nudity, we got you covered. Yeah, um, which is fine. Or not what, covered, as it were. And not covered. That's right. Um, it, it it just adds to the unsettled nature of the scene. Yes. So he's running around the commune naked. He's seeing, for the first time, apparently, pieces of his friends in the gardens, various uh, body parts. He he walks into like the, I think it's the what the chicken coop. Oh yeah. And sees the the one guy the 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 I think Simon is the guy's name, uh, from England, and he's been. What do they call it? A um, the, blood uh, eagle. Yeah, the blood eagle. I was going to call it iron lung for some reason. But yes, you're right. Blood eagle. And and I'm told from Jody Horror Guy that that is a real, that is a real thing. Well, it must be. It has its own Wikipedia page. Yeah, that's nuts. I, I never even knew such a thing existed. So, I mean, it was already freaky. But when I learned that that was like a real thing. It was done to people. Horrifying. So at this point, uh, Christian is paralyzed with some sort of drug Mm -hmm. from one of the elders. So we're getting to the climax. We should be at the climax, but we have to spend, you know, another 10 minutes showing the young commune members how to perfectly take the insides of a bear out. (laughs) Um, So... Let me let me make a comment about that, Ron. Do you know how at the beginning they they said that this great festival event only happens once every ninety years? Yep. I feel like that that bear sequence and them teaching the youth how to do that. That I feel like that reinforced the fact that yeah, maybe this isn't once every ninety years. I think this happens annually. Which is which is funny because I actually mentioned that to the person I saw the movie with. I was like, if this is once every ninety years, how do they know how to do all this stuff? Yeah, yeah, no, this is annual, <laughs> annual stuff here. Because but if, if think... they kill themselves at seventy-two, no one would be alive from the last time this happened. <laughs> right, and I think that one reason, just getting within the world of the film here, I think one reason they they say that ninety-year thing is because when they're trying to lure and attract people. They make it sound like it's this this remarkable event, once in a lifetime experience. Hey, you have the opportunity to see uh, Haley's comet go over. Um, you know, people are going to stand outside and watch for that thing if it only happens once every seventy two years. You know, for the comet or whatever. Same thing here. It's like, oh, I get this opportunity to partake of something and witness something only happens once a century. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, you'll witness something. <laughs> yep. Uh, so as the May Queen, Danny gets has a choice to make because they have the whole temple set up. Uh, it's a different temple than the one that Josh was killed in, and it has all the bodies in it. It has all of the outsiders. It has some of the cult members, the two sacrifice elders, uh, Pele's commune brother, and another villager. Um, the guy who wanted to kill Mark, I believe, have volunteered. To also mm-hmm. die in the temple. Yeah. 
Uh, cause they have to have nine bodies. So the final choice is Danny's and we have, she has paralyzed Christian to choose from or a lottery that chooses a random member of the cult. Cause at this point, Christian. we can say yeah. it's not a commune. It's definitely a cult. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, you know, and then the, you know, screen goes, we switch scenes or whatever. And there's supposed to be some suspense as to which one she picked, but we all knew who she was going to pick. Oh, yeah. Christian's put into the bear suit. He's still paralyzed inside the temple, which they set on fire. It's a very well done fire scene, especially when the mm-hmm. two guys who are in the back uh, get caught on fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, we see the flames engulf the bear suit, uh, and then Christian and then Danny finally, you know, has a new family, has rid herself of, purged herself of all bad relationships. She gives like a little kind of uh, half relief, half evil kind of a smile. That's the end of your film. Yes. Now, another issue that I have, not not with the film per se itself, but with people's reaction to the film. I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of people. And by a lot, I mean, I don't know, four or five. <laughs> That's a lot to me. Uh, I've seen, well, I have seen a fair part of the horror internet community say, oh, well, we, this is things we've never seen before. It changes the game. And I'm like, no, we've seen everything that was made in this movie before. <laughs> we've seen people cut on fire. We've seen people wear other people's skin as masks. You know, most of the deaths took place off screen. Mm-hmm. What have we not seen before? Right. We've not seen a horror movie that was two hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> are you, are you, was it 240? I was thinking it was like 227. Was it 240? Uh, I'm just, I'm well, just nervous I, here. Yeah, I, I think 227 is what I'm seeing here on Wikipedia. I saw something that said 240, but it, either way, you know. Right. It, it's sufficiently long. <laughs> yeah. It's a long ass movie. Right. That could have been way shorter and way tighter. Mm-hmm. And as I said on Twitter, one of, one of my first Twitter posts is, is uh, Midsummer is uh, arrogant and bloated, but I still have faith in Ari Aster, though I won't go see the next one in the theater. I'll probably wait for it to come out on streaming. Wow. Okay. Uh, and I'm still an A24 fan. But again, I'll probably wait for streaming unless, you know, somebody really wants to go see it or something and I'll go. But I'll have instead of unbridled optimism, like I'd never have for a film when I have for this one. So it's like, oh, it's the director. It's the same. It's this company that I really like. Uh, then I'll, I'll have I'll be more uh, protected, protecting myself. Well, for a beatdown. I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do, Ron, since the next Ari Aster film that's in the theater i will be there opening day and i will um shout you out on twitter there in particular okay just but having having known now i get a sense of your ariaster tastes likes and dislikes and i'll let you know if it, i think it's something that you should see in the theater or it can wait because okay you know i mean maybe maybe he will dial it in rain it in a tiny bit show some self-restraint ari Ari, if you're listening, show some self-restraint, dude. Yeah, because, because, yeah, Hereditary was an arty 
horror film, and I feel like this got a little artier even. But I, I, I'm, I, I'm. If someone wanted to tell me this wasn't even a horror film, I would not fight them on it. Okay. Well, boy, I think that would be hard to argue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, there are some horrific things in this film, but, but yeah, if they call it like a drama horror, like a slow burn, then yeah, yeah, I could see. I could see that. Well, I mean, that's what A24 is. It's it's drama horror, right? Mm-hmm. It's all this family drama. Like, for example, Hereditary, as we mentioned a few months ago on a podcast, started out the script that made the original script was just a family drama. There was no horror. The horror was added in later. Right. Once it got picked up by A24. Like, if you've seen The Witch, a lot of that is just family stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, building towards the end and there and by both hereditary and the witch like there were things in it that i was like really surprised by that changed the entire movie for me and in this one nothing i was surprised at how many times danny had the same reaction to everything that happened okay well okay so let me ask you something i know that you're a ghost guy you're a ghost hunter for heaven's sake (laughs) and so so you probably you know you probably have a, a very Fond love of supernatural horror, like sure, ghost yeah. movies and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, taking that into consideration, Ron, like I, I know that about you. But for me, I, I feel like we get so much of that stuff, that uh, supernatural horror, Blumhouse type stuff in the theater, that when I see something wild like Midsummer, which is pretty far out there, or, or a beastly freak film like crawl killer alligator then i'm i'm just so thankful to have something from horror cinema that's not quite so you know run of the mill and that is a very optimistic and happy-go-lucky point of view which i'm not known for jay (laughs) i have a website called i hate stuff Uh, that's true that's true yes you do so you know (laughs) I'm not I mean, playing. I'm not playing a role. I'm just pointing out what I thought about the movie. Right. Okay. No, that's fine. No, I think fair, that fair I don't. I don't think that there was ever a movie that was an A caliber movie in here anywhere. I do think we're at two hours twenty seven minutes. How we cut forty five minutes out of the film? I think we could get up to at least a B. Okay. Did you appreciate though? how much horror in the daylight this film has. I mean, there there are lots of horrific things that happen, and it's not cloaked or hidden in the darkness. It happens in broad daylight, which to me makes horror scarier. No, because the only thing I can think of that happened in the middle of the day was those two old people jumping off of the cliff, and by the time they actually did it, I was over it. Yeah, but you saw the blood eagle in the daylight, and you yeah you, you yeah know, the I mean, reveal the reveals, but all of those actual deaths happen off screen. Mm-hmm. But but didn't you see horrific things in the daylight, even if they were already said and done? We did, but at that point, I had checked out the movie. Honestly, okay. so okay. at that Fair point, enough. I'm just like, is it over yet? When is this over? <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, you know, now that you say that, and I realize that it is something to be appreciated, uh, and would have worked better in a tighter film. Mm-hmm. 
You know, Ron, I honestly, I can get behind your ultimate criticism, which is the, the fact that it is overly indulgent and the pacing is slow. I mean, I could get behind that just generally speaking because I am kind of an impatient viewer as well. I, I will say I do think that he used that padded runtime in order to build a horror story for sure. But but yes, is it is it indulgent? Yes, I, I have to agree. But it wasn't indulgent for me. It was indulgent for Ari Oster. Right, right. You didn't. You and I'm you usually a very happy. patient viewer. Like I'll I'll wait around for the climax. Like I, that doesn't bother me. Hmm. But I mean, this is just a ridiculous runtime for a horror film. <laughs> okay. For one that's completely predictable, you know, despite what. Jordan Peele and everyone else has said doesn't really change the game. It doesn't change anything. We've seen this movie before a hundred times. This is every yeah. cult movie you've ever seen. Yeah, I resent. I kind of get annoyed when they, they make these huge sweeping statements like horror was reinvented. Yeah. It's changing the game. So, okay. So, at this point, at this point, Jay, uh, for Midsummer, let's go ahead and rate Midsummer before we move on to Midnight. Gotcha. So on a scale of 1 to 10, you can use halves if you wish. I know it's been a while since you've been on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, only because we were gone. <laughs> we were for like six months. Yeah. Um, so out of 10, what would you rate Midsummer? I give Midsummer a 9 out of 10. I tell people to see it in the theater if it's still available near you. I do think it's worth seeing and supporting at your local theater. And then for me, this is a buy. I am going to buy this film. When it comes out, it is absolutely beautiful. So this is definitely a Blu-ray type of purchase, especially if you are uh, appreciative of an art horror film. I think you'll love it. Nine out of ten. So I'm going a different direction than nine out of ten. Uh, I will I will admit to you though that it is a very beautiful film. The cinematography is very very good. Um, so I would agree, if you are going to buy it, get it on the Blu-ray type of situation where you can actually appreciate the colors. Mm -hmm. I'm going 4 out of 10. 4? I'm going okay. 4 out of 10 only only for the cinematography and the acting. Okay. Um, I don't fault the actors. They all pulled off their parts the way that they were supposed to pull off. Uh, the, the, the issue I have with the film is the directing and the editing. Gotcha. So the only way I'll have this film is if there's some like box set of A24 films that comes out like in 10 years and I like every other film in the set and it comes with it. <laughs> All right. I see. Or someone like, you know, pays me to watch it again. Like I get a job <laughs> watching reviewing movies something like do this one. Okay. So this is just so I'm clear. Like, do you tell people who ask you, is this more of like a low priority rental, a stream it or what? Where do you tell them well usually for me the way my scale works and i've, I've mm -hmm. described this several times on the podcast uh if, mm -hmm. if i'm giving something a four that means yeah. i would recommend it to somebody uh-huh it's maybe not the greatest film but it's worth a recommendation and actually i give this one a four because i think the acting is so strong and the cinematography is so beautiful mm -hmm. i can't think of a single person i would recommend to go see this <laughs> right so i would avoid Oh, avoid then. Okay. I get you. Interesting. Because if you're a horror fan, I mean, it may not hit all the right spots for you. If you're a fan of art films, 
the horror stuff might turn you off, you know? Yeah. I get you. There is a, there is a decent film somewhere in there. I don't think Ari Aster found it. <laughs> okay. But credit to the, credit to the cast. Like, I was super impressed with all, all of the cast. Well, I'm glad that, I mean, everybody I've talked to about this film, which isn't a lot of people, by the way. I mean, it's probably like six to ten horror fans. They've all liked it. And so it's been fun to talk to you about it because you didn't like it as much. And so I, I thought it was really interesting to hear your perspectives on it. Oh, I thought so. when I walked out of the theater that I was going to be in the majority. Right. And then I got on the Internet and I'm like, oh, shit. In yeah. the minority again. And once again, yes. <laughs> in a familiar place. All right. So from the beautiful plains of Sweden, we're going to take the podcast to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which some people have called the armpit of America. <laughs> uh, I've been to Pittsburgh. Seems pretty nice to me. So I, I wouldn't go that it. direction. But I've heard that. I've heard that mentioned before. It was on a wrestling show, actually. So we talked about wrestling earlier. And you know they're they're just trying to get the crowd riled up anyway. Oh yeah, it's the it's the big city to my hometown, so it's uh it's like the I, big city. Actually, yeah, I'm from I'm from Wheeling, West Virginia, and Pittsburgh is the closest big city. It's about forty five minutes to an hour. So this movie is this movie was released in 1982, and was directed by John Russo. Do you know who John Russo is, Jay? Uh, novelist, screenwriter, otherwise, not really. Do you know why his most famous contribution to the horror genre is? I don't, actually. He co-wrote Night of the Living Dead with George Romero. Oh, really? Wow. And then they had a falling out about which direction they wanted to take the sequels. So they made a deal. George Romero got to keep making sequels to Night of the Living Dead. But... John Russo got to keep the title of The Living Dead. So then he wrote the book Return of the Living Dead, which became the movie Return of the Living Dead. Interesting. Okay. And I've met both John Russo and George Romero before his passing. Um, and he's a pretty nice dude. I mean, pe- when you meet the celebrities and, you know, you're paying him for an autograph, everybody's pretty nice, I guess. So, Right. <laughs> Give me some money for me to write my name down. I'd be pretty nice, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so that's one of the reasons why I was interested in seeing this film, because he doesn't direct. He didn't direct a whole bunch of films. And did, had you ever heard of Midnight before I mentioned it to you? I did not. I I had no idea about this film. I'm really glad you you picked it though, because I had a great time watching this. Yeah, and it's a lot of horror fans don't know about it because it wasn't. It didn't have a wide release when it was released. It wasn't one of those movies that you saw at your local video store a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And it didn't get a DVD release until like 2014 or something like that. Yeah, it definitely seems very obscure. It's got that low budget indie horror film feel. It definitely has that uh, Night of Living Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre feel about it. Like gritty. Oh my. Yeah, in fact, I really feel like this film borrows so much from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 74 version. Yeah. Tons. It borrows a lot. From that movie. <laughs> well, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. 
uh, if it was a, that was a heavily influenced on this film, the way it was made. Mm-hmm. Sure. So this film isn't, by the way, outside of John Russo, who directed the film, you don't know anyone else. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, Lawrence Tierney, the guy who played Bert, like the, the stepdad, mm-hmm. he's been yeah. in a bunch of stuff. He had a quite impressive IMDb list. But other than that, you know, you don't know anyone else in this film. Right. Which is another, like, staple of those Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nine of the Living Dead type of films. They just use local town people for a lot of the stuff. Mm-hmm. John Russo himself was one of the ghouls in Nine of the Living Dead. Yeah. But the I like a lot of times when they'll use just local people like that. I, I feel like it gives an air of authenticity when you don't have all these Hollywood looking people, you know, cast in a movie. I mean, I like looking at various beautiful people as well, but I just like the the everyday quality of the people in this movie. This is why you haunt my Facebook page. You like looking at beautiful people all the time. Jay. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Constantly. That's why I constantly have to change the profile picture. <laughs> That's right. And I uh, keep coming back. <laughs> the the one the drawback on that is sometimes the acting is quite a bit choppy and I think we got that here in the middle of the film with some of the characters you know the black preacher and his daughter and the two guys in the van that was kind of rough to get through <laughs> at points oh, yeah yeah that that preacher his delivery of his lines was so wooden yeah <laughs> I mean you could tell that he worked really hard and memorized the script he he got his lines down but man he was concentrating so hard to spit those out <laughs> and it was it was it was actually endearing to see that it kind of was it kind of was he did you know he tried his hardest right and right. uh here we are you know was 82 so here we are almost 40 years later criticizing his work <laughs> yeah we're a bunch of jerks <laughs> um so unlike the previous movie where the cult sort of made sacrifices to some unknown deity or for some unknown cause. In this one, the cult is definitely straight up just satanic. Mm-hmm. Which works well for the 80s, although I think 82 is probably a little early to take it, to take advantage of the satanic panic of the 80s. Yeah. But at that time, still, the beginnings of that whole panic... The seeds were sown. So the the Satan way was probably the way to go. But this movie starts out in rural Pennsylvania. Some some poor teenager has gotten her leg stuck in some sort of bear trap. Mm -hmm. Which was kind of in an open field. So I kind of feel like if you stick your leg in a bear trap in an open field, maybe you deserve it. (laughs) Right. Like if you're in the woods, you don't see it. Yeah, I get it. But there there was literally nothing around this girl. Uh, and she got her leg stuck in this bear trap. Unfortunately for her, the trap was not set for a bear. It was pretty much set for anybody who happened to wander around and be dumb enough to put their leg in it. Right. And the whole family, uh, a mom, uh, three boys, and a girl show up. And the mom makes the one of the sons knock the girl unconscious. I, I thought it was like with like a, um axe handle. Yeah, right in the eyeball, like right in the eye. Yeah, it. it was pretty. It was one of those like low budget, but kind of one of those moments that makes you shudder because you just hear the 
the the bounce of the axe handle off of the girl's head, the thud. Yeah, it was it was effective. I thought. In fact, Ron, I loved this opening. I was dazzled by it. Like, first of all, the setting, it's in this field, as you said, and it looks, it appears to be kind of like wintertime. There's this dead field. And then you hear these screams off the, in the distance. And right. I'm like, wow, this is chilling right now. And then the, the, the fact that they're regarding her as a demon, it reminded me a lot of frailty. And I know this preceded frailty. But um, I, I kept thinking a lot of that. And in the soundtrack and the background, this soundtrack has a lot of weird noises going on. And it, it's unsettling. Yeah, and that that soundtrack with the weird noises is reminiscent of both Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I of Living Dead. Mm-hmm. So that's why oh. it, it's definitely in that family of films. So if you like those two films, you're probably going to like this one. For sure. Or at least appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, unfortunately for the girl, she is taken back to the house where the daughter, I believe, stabs her to death uh, multiple times. Right. And then we get the opening credits. <laughs> uh, which I don't know how popular that was back in 1982. I kind of feel like the whole gotta have a big action scene before the opening credits thing started with Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981. Hmm. Yeah, may, maybe you're right. But I I do think that's... It definitely an, was an effective opening. Yeah, it's very effective, especially in a horror film where you, they need to establish, okay, this is going to be a horror movie, just so you all know. We're going to have some exposition and character you know, build up to get to additional horror later on. But, you know, right up front, we just want you to see, yep, you're in a horror movie. This is what this is what's going to happen, and this is your chance to bail out, <laughs> right? <laughs> um. So some time has passed, and we meet the heroine of the film. Her name is Nancy, um, and her stepdad is this older guy, older big cop guy named Bert. Uh, and mm-hmm. basically, in this opening scene, he attempts to rape her. Wow. Yes. Uh, which is really weird for what happens later in the film. Yeah, it's super weird. The the opening, what what really was bizarre to me was the way Nancy was fairly nonchalant and seemed to not be overly threatened by him at first. And it's like, clearly this guy has pushed boundaries in the past. It seems yeah, like yeah. that's what he does. And, and then all of a sudden, like he comes on pretty hardcore and then... She has to fight him, but I'm like, wait a second, didn't you realize that this that's what's happening here? Like, hmm. It was a sad, sad scene. Yeah, he gropes her, tries to get her shirt off, and she hits him yeah. in the head with a radio. Right. Um, so she, while he's while he's knocked out, passed out, because he was you know, he was drunk off his ass. She decides she's taking off, she's gonna go move in with her sister in San Francisco, and this is uh, you know, the early eighties. So at that point, this girl doesn't have a car. She's going to have to hitchhike. Mm-hmm. Which they would, I think you'd be able to get there in a much more efficient fashion. And everyone knows it's not safe to hitchhike. Right. And, and in fact, isn't it interesting? Okay, so you had the stepfather trying to sexually assault her. And then the next 
hitchhiker person was, you know, propositioning her. And then the next two guys even. So it's weird how and maybe that's how it is for ladies, unfortunately. Maybe they get this sort of awful treatment frequently. I Yeah, I, I, it, I shudder it, to think. It was weird because the first four dudes that we see in the film are all mm-hmm. sexually harassing um, this like seventeen year old girl. Right. She tried. She almost is raped by her stepdad, the guy who's going to pick her up and take her to as far as Detroit, I believe. Says, "Well, you can come with me, but you're going to sleep with me every night." And then right. the two guys um, in the van who end up do do end up picking her up. At first, when you meet them. They're like, oh, I want a piece of that. But that guy's right. going to get it first. And then all of a sudden, they do a 180, almost a 180, and say, well, we better get her before someone who isn't as good-natured as us picks her up and she gets into some bad trouble. Yeah. Yeah, they end up being fairly decent guys for the most part. Well, it's a white guy named Tom and a black guy named Hank. Right. And Hank doesn't seem too happy about having this hitchhiker in the van with them. Mm-mm. Tom's a much more happy-go-lucky about it. Uh, maybe Tom thinks he's going to score. I don't know. But he's, he's definitely not trying to rape her like everyone else was trying to do. I kind of felt when after that first opening sequence, I was like, man, John Russo just must think that guys are awful. Like, every guy in the world is awful. Yeah. Well, I mean... When you, I mean, you're on Twitter too. Like when I read what the the ladies on Twitter are talking about happens to them all the time from creepers on Twitter. I'm like, well, maybe this is, maybe there's a lot of more truth to this than I would like to think. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that seems to be the case, especially when you can remain anonymous behind your keyboard. Exactly. Yeah. And apparently it was much more out front in 1982. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, maybe one of the reasons that Hank wasn't too keen on having an underage girl with them is the fact that they're they've been stealing <laughs> they've been stealing their food from various um, grocery, grocery store. stores. But uh, we'll get that in just a second because before we get to them stealing food from a grocery store, they do end up picking up a uh, black preacher and his daughter who's home from college. Mm-hmm. Which is was kind of a weird scene too, I and mean, we we mentioned the acting before wasn't in this section of the film isn't um, amazing. Yeah, but it was also kind of weird that he would just someone would just walk up to you and be like, "Hey, I see you got a van. You're going our way. Why don't you give us a ride?" Well, and the neat thing about that preacher to me was that he ended up being the harbinger of doom in this film because he did warn them about the the killings in that area and so forth. So he, he he represents that usual function of the harbinger of doom. And he also is also a harbinger of racism as he mentions that his congregation is black, so they he's lost some of the couple members of his congregation recently. Uh, no one seems to care because they're black. And we do we do discover some racism a little bit later on in the film. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a different world in 1982. You could just walk up to somebody and be like, "Hey, man, why don't you just give me a ride ten miles down the road?" Uh, right, right. Now they just give you the finger and say they call Uber. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, but we spend a little time with uh, this preacher and his daughter at the grave of their mother. We see they're being stalked by a fairly large, like, backwoods, rednecky type. Like, we can tell, right, what's going to happen. Like, we know this yeah. is probably an inbred, backwards, wrong turn type of a dude, right? I love that dude. <laughs> I do. I uh, he do. was not pretty to look at. I think he was perfect for that role. But he was perfect. Yes, I agree. The daughter goes ahead to the house to make some sandwiches. The father's still praying when he is... Well, he's not praying when he's attacked, but when he's done praying, starts to leave the cemetery, he is attacked and stabbed to death by this the big dude uh, in balding, like, heavy set guy. I believe his name is Cyrus. <laughs> right. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. So once we get back to the house uh, with the now deceased preacher's daughter, Cyrus has a little bit of fun with the girl. By sticking her dead dad at the door and then knocking on it. So that when she opens it, her dead dad falls into the door. What a bunch of fun, huh? Yeah, it's a pretty jerky move there. Well, you know, Cyrus really isn't uh, a good guy. So, <laughs> No, not at all. So this young lady, instead of... Because she could easily outrun Cyrus. Cyrus looks like he needs a lot of work on his cardio. <laughs> right. But instead of maneuvering around him, she runs upstairs. And at one point, he goes into a room that's on the other side of a hallway. And she runs down the stairs. And it's the, I, instead of running out the door, she just hides in the bathroom. Yeah, that was bizarre. And then waits. And literally, that's waits for him to come and kill her, which is what happens. Like, eventually, he finds her and he strangles her to death in the bathtub with the water running on her head, which is disturbing, by the way. It, it is. It, it seems like a real murder. Like another happened. jerk thing to do by Cyrus. Like he didn't have to turn the water on on her head. He could have just strangled her in the bathtub. But he was being a jerk and he turned the water on. Yeah, on top of all that. Yeah, and, and because that's so messy and I mean, that, that's one thing I talk about sometimes is how in horror films, the kills that disturb me the most are the ones that don't come off real smoothly. It's It's awkward. It's a struggle. It's you know, because I, I, I think that that's probably more along the lines of how it would go down if something like that really happened. Now, in the main storyline, there really isn't any reason for these deaths other than Cyrus likes to kill people, and he's probably yeah. he's probably racist. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Although I don't really think that's even brought up, honestly. Yeah, and he seems like he has some sort of mental issues. In fact, he reminds me of like a very overweight Joker character because he laughs all the time. <laughs> he does like laugh all the time, but he has no like actual dialogue. All right. Yeah. He's just laughing. He just laughs. It's pretty cool. Actually. Well, and Ron, if, and Ron, you, around, if you were standing in the middle of the woods and he was in front of you, that big old dude, and he was just laughing, you wouldn't think it was so cool then. Well, no, 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 but you know, for a horror movie, <laughs> it, it, he, he's a pretty cool monster. We need some Cyrus merch out there. Yeah. For all of, the, all of the horror convention vendors that are listening right now, where's the Cyrus merch? Yeah. Where's that been all our lives? Exactly. The, the other merch that needs to be out there is uh, they need to get this song from the, the main theme song from the soundtrack. The one that sounds like... Um, 
grocery shopping music. It's like <laughs> the lyrics are, you're on your own. Let's see. You're all done. You can't go home anymore. Or, or you know, you're all alone. That's what it is. You're all alone. I mean, I mean, they keep playing this. It's like this girl, Nancy's theme song. And, you know, throughout this film, they keep playing this. And it sounds exactly like the kind of um, music you'd hear, like if you go to the IGA or the grocery store in the middle of the day. <laughs> I'm surprised you know about IGA. We have, I have an IGA in the town I live in. No way. Yeah. See, well, I'm yeah. an Easterner, so I remember back in the day. Great, great fried chicken. That's right. That's right, brother. Cyrus has killed these two people. In the meantime, our hero, Nancy and Tom and Hank, in their van, they 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 encounter some racism at a local bar and decide that because of that they're going to rob the local grocery store just to piss off the town. Mm-hmm. And they do this by Nancy and Hank going into the grocery store, and I thought they were just going to have shove a few things like in their coat pocket or something, like you know how traditionally somebody would steal something from a grocery store or a convenience <laughs> store or something. They right. filled an entire cart up and had the employees bag everything. Yeah. And then somehow they just ran out with the groceries. I guess I just grabbed them and ran and hoped yeah. for the best. They didn't exactly. really kind of a little bit of a cheat there. They didn't really show how they got out, but <laughs> they did. And right. they get into a cop chase, uh, which, which causes Tom to take the van back deep into the woods where he almost hit Cyrus. Who's carrying the? I'm I'm guessing the body of the young black girl, and so they end up camping out, um, in that area for the night, which is not a good news for them. Yes, and just a side note too, Ron. Just wanted to plug this in there for people out there who are '80s nostalgia fans. There are uh, several products in this film that that are shown obviously from the 80s it's just like the dr pepper can the old doritos bag yeah munchos, yeah Lays, the, the old pbr Paps, can yeah yeah Pep's blue ribbon yeah i mean it's it's really fun to see all those things yeah i would have been like five or six in 82 so i may not remember those particular versions of the cans but this is almost gorilla filmmaking techniques mm-hmm. so oh, yeah. it's not like a situation where it's product placement Right. It's just John Russo going, uh, just go buy some Dr. Peppers for them to drink. Right. It's exactly what it is. So it is a nice little, like, nostalgia look back at that time period and what everything looked like back then as far as pop culture goes. For sure. So even though they don't have enough money to buy food, Tom and Hank have enough money to buy beer and marijuana. So they can get drunk and stoned, and apparently that gets Hank all pissed off when he's drunk and stoned, and he's not very happy still about carrying around uh, the 17-year-old girl who is singing uh, what he calls slave songs on her guitar. He doesn't think she has a right to sing it since she's a white person. Yeah, now, Ron, didn't you feel like um, this film, John Russo seems to make some efforts to uh, comment on racism in, in this era. And I, I think it's interesting how much of that is in this film. You, I mean, at first blush, you just think, okay, this, this is just a, you know, a run-of-the-mill 80s horror, low-budget fare. But I really feel like he was trying to put some, 
some commentary in here. Well, take into consideration the other film that he's co-written, Night of the Living Dead. Right. And there's definitely uh, social commentary in that film, and racism is definitely at the forefront of that film. Yeah. So I think this is a running theme for both him and George Romero. Yeah, agreed. At this point, uh, I believe that Nancy's decided, while they're sleeping, I'm going to take off because I'm obviously a burden to them. Which she does start to do before she can get too far. The two, Tom and Hank, are accosted by two police officers who aren't very happy to have these people sleeping just in the middle of the woods. Accuses them of raping and murdering a girl. um, And then basically handcuffs them and shoots them to death. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Is, it's pretty surprising. It's a pretty bold move in the middle of the movie because we've been with these characters for a minute. And yeah. and we would, you know, in any other slasher type horror film or any other sort of horror film, we would assume that at least one of these two guys is going to be around until the end with this girl. They, they both may not make it, but they're going to make it to the end of the film. Right. Uh, but now we're in the middle of the film and they're both dead. Yeah. So the focus for the film, which was which was Nancy and these two guys um, going down to Florida, and you know, and their antics along the way. And we knew there was a subplot that was going on with Cyrus, and the two plots were going to intertwine at some point. Um, is now gone away from that because the only one left is Nancy, and has kind of moved on to this demonic satanic worshiping family mm-hmm. um so the cops chase nancy to a house where she sees a full-grown woman who leads her into a room where we see cyrus cutting a dude's head off because that's what cyrus mm-hmm. does you can't leave cyrus alone for any amount of time or he's gonna start cutting heads off right and it's gonna Did get you- messy cyrus doesn't care no he's just kind of a. Uh- yeah, he's, he's got issues, mental issues. <laughs> Cyrus but... has, that's the understatement of the year so far. Cyrus has some issues. But a, a little side note, I, I can't remember if we mentioned this already, but we should. Uh, I saw that the makeup in this was done by Tom Savini. The special and, effects, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I think it's decent, but I honestly think that they just didn't have the budget to do very much with it. Because we all know his talent. Yeah, there's but... a couple of severed headshots in this film that are probably better than they should be. Right. For a yeah. film with this kind of a budget. Uh, little little fun fact here as well, um, Jay. Mm-hmm. Before he became any, before he became Tom Savini, uh, Russo and George Romero had tapped Savini to do makeup special effects for Night of the Living Dead. But he'd gotten drafted to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So he didn't hook up with Romero until until um, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, and my understanding is, um, you know, his, unfortunately, or for, I mean, depending on how you look at it, it's kind of a conflicted way to say it. But his experience in Vietnam really informed his effects makeup. Sure, sure. This. So he had uh, previously had a relationship with both John Russo and George Romero and ended up working with both of them. I would say Dawn of the Dead were probably a little more successful than Midnight. Mm-hmm. 
for sure. A movie that you didn't even know existed until a month ago. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> this was this was a new one for me. I'm grateful. I like it. Uh, so the cops get to the house. Nancy's like, "You got to come in here. They're they're murdering people." So they go in and check it out. And we find out it's all just a ruse. Uh, the cops are actually part of the family, and this is the family that we saw at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Years later, they're grown up, and they they capture Nancy. They put her in a cage, like a dog cage. There's another girl there in the dog cage with her. And they have a mama-type figure that mama's been deceased for a while. A la <laughs> Psycho. And um, it, it, it also reminds me a, a little bit, again, of Texas Chainsaw and that whole family, really. Yeah, it's it's very reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw. And, and yeah. ob- the obvious... Um, correlation is with Psycho. Right. Right. Because Mama kind of talks to the girl anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we hear Mama talking to her. <laughs> yeah, that, that girl, I think, as crazy Cynthia. as Cyrus is. Yeah, Cynthia. As crazy as Cyrus is, I think Cynthia is very scarily nuts. She's the one that I think is the scariest character in this movie. Because she's the calmest of the whole family? Yeah, and she she seems to be in charge of all like the rituals and all the, I mean, she's pretty intense. Well, that's because I think Mama speaks to her, and she mm-hmm. has to communicate with the rest of them, right? Because Abraham and Luke, who are the two like guys posing as cops, we find out that the cops whom was chasing Nancy and Tom and Hank the day before got caught in the backwoods. Someone's wrong with their car. They can't get their car to run anymore. And they got attacked by this family and murdered. And then Abraham and Luke took over their uniforms, used them to the best of their abilities. Right. So now there's a lot of infighting in the family because Cyrus is getting out of control like by killing people. Uh, they killed the one girl that they had. They need three girls for this uh, ritual that's like an anti-Easter ritual. Because the final death <laughs> is supposed to take place on Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. So now they have to go get another girl, uh, which doesn't seem very hard for them to do. They find a guy and a girl playing Frisbee. <laughs> and this guy is awful at Frisbee, by the way. Yes, it really is. I mean, you've played Frisbee before, right, Jay? Of course I have. Yeah, I'm pretty good with the Frisbee. I'm not going to, you know. Yeah, I played some. trying to brag. I played you're... some Frisbee golf. If I'm throwing a Frisbee to somebody, I'm going to get it in the general vicinity where they can catch it. Right. I'm not going to throw it 50 feet to the left behind a shed. <laughs> Which is what this dude does. Exactly. And, and because of his poor Frisbee skills, he gets both of them killed. Way to go, guy with a Frisbee. <laughs> yeah, and that seems kind of upsetting, too. I mean, it's it, it's kind of... Well, it happens. Yeah. it happens in broad daylight. Mostly yep. because John Russo probably couldn't afford to film a whole bunch at night. Uh, but also, yeah, but the fact that it. they're just playing Frisbee, like, probably in their backyard. Yeah. And Sharon, the girl, is abducted by these two guys. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it was her brother or her boyfriend. Whomever the guy who really sucks at Frisbee is, <laughs> ends up getting stabbed to death. Just right there and out in the open in the blue for anyone who wanted to see it happen. I mean, I think they kind of live out in the middle of nowhere, but 
it is a disturbing is yeah. it's disturbing it, it is it is and i yeah because it it's right in the middle of the mundane you know they're just having fun little family fun in the backyard and bam horror happens um <laughs> it, it, it that just, should be like uh, a new catchphrase for you jay like whenever you're describing a movie bam horror happens that's right it does uh, and and you know it's weird. I think it's also in this this same stage of the movie. It, they just at some point they just break out into this philosophical debate about religion, and it's like if God is good, then why does he let bad things happen? Like it's so funny because I feel like maybe, and this is just speculation. I feel like John Russo took things from his novel that were a little more fleshed out in the novel, these ideas, and tried to put them in the film. Like the race stuff and this little religion philosophical debate. Sure. You know, to try to enrich it a little bit. And I appreciate that. Don't get me wrong. But they stick out and it's kind of bizarre. You know, when most of this is just very surface, simple horror. And then, you know, he, he infuses it with things a little more weighty. Well, Nancy's Catholic, which we didn't mention because she during the opening credits, she's talking to a Catholic priest. Doing mm-hmm. confession. Um, even though her actions throughout the movie don't really relay the message of, hey, I'm religious. I can't do this kind of thing. Right. But but like anyone else, probably in the situation, when you're stuck in a dog cage and you're about to be murdered, you find religion again really quick. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So she has this religious the religious discussion that you're talking about is with Cynthia who is a worshiper of Satan as opposed to Nancy, who is a worshiper of God. Right. And there's several parts uh, during the rituals that they're having uh, that I kind of thought was really cool where they do the parallel like prayers mm-hmm. where Cynthia is, you know, doing ritualistic prayers to Satan and Nancy's doing prayers to God, but they're doing like a line each back and forth. Yeah, it's cross cut and it's juxtaposed and yeah, it's very effective. I like that. Um, So unfortunately for Sharon, the girl who's captured while playing Frisbee, they need a sacrifice starting that night. They don't feel like getting any of the other girls out of the cages, so they're just going to use her. And this ritual basically is Cynthia saying prayers to Satan, while the the guys cut Sharon's throat open, they collect the blood to feed to their mother. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that pleases Satan, but it must in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> uh, or, or I would guess they wouldn't be doing it. They probably would be. I mean, because Cyrus, you can't control that guy. Yeah, let's be honest. These people are weirdos. <laughs> And there's a lot of other weird things that happen. Like they have to put each one in a separate grave, and we we find out that the last thing that's uh, you know the last thing that's going to happen is going to happen on Easter. Now during this time, Bert, who is the scumbag stepdad, whom came on to Nancy, tried to rape her, and then lied to her mother about what happened. Yeah. Suddenly becomes the hero of the film, which is a really weird. <laughs> situation to put the viewer in yeah 
Because you're so conflicted. Okay, should I be rooting for this guy? Like, <laughs> Who's a scumbag rapist. Yeah. But now he's trying to save his daughter. And I kept thinking, I don't want to root for this guy. Yeah. And I kept thinking, I understand the whole rape situation is what led Nancy to leave at the beginning of the film, but I'm like, you know, couldn't you have went a different direction? There's a many reasons why she should have, could have left. And we just don't even mention this guy until it's time, you know, to look for the daughter. Then we can openly root for the guy instead right. of being like, man, it's cool that you're saving your daughter, but you know, it's a little weird because you're a rapist. <laughs> well, you're an attempted <laughs> rapist at least. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually appreciate that about it though. The, the conflict that's there. Because it's like you almost don't know what to root for because you don't necessarily want her back in with this in his possession either. <laughs> and that's that's cool. I mean, she's always between a rock and a hard place. It definitely is a multi-dimensional character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Bert tracks down where these guys are at by their van, records their conversation they're having uh, about them admitting to murdering people. Right, pretty convenient. Super, super convenient, super 80s style. <laughs> uh, Bert is super sly, even though, you know, he's probably, what, I don't know, 100 pounds overweight? Yes. <laughs> he's a big an dude. Alcoholic. Yeah, and he's old. So, um, so later a- so later the same evening, the other girl, I think, what was her name? Uh, let's see. Gwen. Was her name Gwen, Gwen. I think? Yes. Is taken out of the dog cages. Of course, not Nancy. We got a little bit of main character syndrome going on here. <laughs> and the same ritual is performed on Gwen. Throat cut. Feed the blood to the mom. And the next day is going to be um, Nancy's turn. Mm-hmm. But we never get to that point because before that can happen, Bert gets one up on... Um, the- the bald cop poser. <laughs> yeah, Luke is his name. And it yeah. was weird because it's 1982, and I wouldn't think... Because that look has kind of been now. The bald with the stash. I'm like, that guy's way ahead of his time as far as his look goes. As far as his <laughs> facial hair goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Brick gets the one up on him and, like, beats him down. I don't, He doesn't kill him, just beats him to unconsciousness. And then mm-hmm. holds up the other two, uh, Abraham and Cyrus, with his gun... Makes them go get Nancy and bring her out. But what Bert doesn't know is Cynthia is lurking about with a knife. And so he gets a knife in the back. But does manage to take out both Cyrus and Abraham with his gun. Mm-hmm. And by the way, for being a police officer, that was the dumbest approach possible. It's like, okay, go in the house and get my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> like... I'm going to stay here with a gun. Yeah, with a gun on this guy. But what could go I mean, they could have gone to the bedroom window and just shot him through the window. I mean, there could have been so many. I mean, that was a terrible play for a police officer. And he also claims to have told the local sheriff about what happened and how these guys are murderers. But he doesn't have any of them as backup. No, no. I mean, it works out for him. They bring her out. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but like, it, okay. but it is a pretty dumb plot device, right? 
It's like, hmm, not very strategic. But he does get stabbed in the back, so he kind of pays for it. But I was trying to think, Ron. I'm like, okay, what would I have done if I were holding <laughs> those two dudes at gunpoint? I, I think what I would have done is, honestly, I would have shot one of them to show that I meant business. And I'd be like, okay, march in there. I'm I'm right behind you, and you get me my daughter. That's what I would have done. Yeah, that's ruthless, dude. I'm dead serious. I'm gonna I mean, kill one of these guys. If somebody had my kid, you know, it's like I'm taking I'm taking one of you out to show you that I am not playing right now. <laughs> you know why, Jay? If someone had one of your kids, I would do that too. <laughs> you, you would you would shoot them for me? Okay, thank you. Yeah, I don't have any kids, so. Okay, well, you back me up. You be my backup. I will. I'll, I, you know, I'll just be like, Jay, you can't have this guy. I'm going to take this guy in the house. Exactly. But Bert doesn't have, even though he's probably the size of both of us combined. <laughs> right, exactly. He doesn't have any backup. And that's why he gets stabbed in the back. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Uh, but Nancy does get away. She hides in, like, a barn or something. Uh, Cynthia, like, stupidly <laughs> wanders about looking for her and gets... um. Gets jumped out of the darkness by Nancy and strangled to death with like a shoelace or something. Some sort of rope that she's found. Doesn't she cut her throat open too? Yeah, like I wasn't clear on exactly what it was. It was really using. dark. I almost thought it was one of those traps even, but I'm not, I don't, I can't say for sure. It, it almost looked, for a moment, I'm like, okay, did she get her with a trap? And I'm like, maybe not. Those are hard to manipulate. Well, whatever uh, she used, she did kill Cynthia. So Cynthia's out of the picture. Um, she does see that Cyrus and Abraham have both been shot. They're allegedly dead. But Luke, the bald guy with the mustache, regains consciousness. So Nancy douses him with gas and throws a lighter on him. Which, I, you know, I, I can appreciate what they were up against here and trying to film that. But like a couple things, he's standing behind the fire in order to show <laughs> him getting burned up. In yeah. The film. Yeah. And, and that looks very bad. I mean, it, it's not work at all. And it's like, okay, that seems like an intricate kind of trap for that last kill. I, I don't know. And, unless they were going for a, okay, burn in hell kind of thing. You Satanist thing. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's what they were going for. But I just don't think that final kill worked very well. Well, I've met Tom Savini a couple of times. Mm -hmm. He's a regular at all these conventions. Like, he's almost at all of them. Um, If I run across him again at some point, I may ask him about this film. (laughs) Okay, that would be great. See if he remembers it. I I would love to hear what what you tell me he says. Um, and, and, And then, Ron, so when the credits happen, it's this happy jolly song again the grocery store song <laughs> it is such a train wreck it's hilarious uh well this movie doesn't have any nudity in it um and there is a lot of violence though it was declared a video nasty by the uk mm-hmm. so for a long time if you were in the uk you couldn't see this film because it was considered obscene mm-hmm. which the video nasty thing always intrigues me oh yeah it always it's makes the film full of just feel a little bit extra nasty. Right. I'm like, oh, this was a video nasty. Well, I mean, that's actually happening right now, currently, with that film, The Hunt, which was scheduled to come out later this month. And, or in, what, September was it? But 
anyway, they pulled it because of all the shootings that are going on and they wanted to be sure, you know, more sensitive to that. And so now that was a movie that a lot of people were just mildly excited about it. But now it seems like people really want to see it. And, and just side note, I always wanted to see this. I was, <laughs> I was, I was very, it's exactly my kind of horror movie. So, you know, I'm not trying to be insensitive to the, the dire situation of our culture right now, but I do hope to get to see this film at some point. Anyway, that was a side note. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure anybody wants to see it will be able to see it. Probably before the year's out, I'm sure. Yeah, on VOD at the very least. At the very least, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the end of the film. I mean, we get a you know one last one last look from Nancy, but that is uh, Midnight, 1982, John Russo film that isn't really well known in the horror community, honestly. No. I mean, I've known about it for a while, only because of, um, you know, studying John Russo's career. Not really studying it, but kind of falling into it with the whole Night of Living Dead, Return of Living Dead uh, situation. Two of my favorite films. Yeah, I, I ordered it on DVD from Amazon in order to review it with you. When you when you mentioned that this was the film, I looked it up, it was available, so I got it. And I'm it glad I did. Which is not, it's not available on Amazon video on demand, no. which is no. kind of weird. There is a DVD rip of it that's fairly decent if someone really wanted to watch this film. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not expensive on Amazon either if someone wanted to get it. It's like $6 or something. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. Um, so, Midnight, Jay, would you care to rate this one on the same scale as Midsummer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, my pleasure. Yeah, Midnight 1982. I'm giving it a 6 out of 10. I'm calling it a rental, and here's why. I I think it's an 80s low-budget indie horror cinematic oddity. It's all these cool things that we horror fans kind of treasure, and I think it's worth your time. It's, it's creepy at times. It's bizarre at times. It's atmospheric at times, actually, believe it or not. It's silly at times. It's funny at times. Unintentionally, like, I don't really think there's <laughs> much intentional uh, humor in this. Right, right. But it's just a weird little flick, and, I, and I was having fun watching it, actually. So I do think it's worth watching at least once. I would back up everything you just said about the film. There's something about just that, like, I almost wanted it to even be in black and white. There's something about that oh, gritty... Yeah independent film style. Yeah. That just makes it, that gives it that extra little jump. I'm not going six cause the, you know, the acting was pretty poor and the special effects are Tom Savini aside. Um, <laughs> pretty poor. I mean, probably, you know, budget, budgetary restraints, um, but it is a nice little find. And if you can get a hold of it, it's worth having in your collection. Mm hmm. Like uh, going on this, the scale that you like to go on, I would say, if you can find it, buy it. Okay. And then your horror fans will be like, what's this film? I've never seen this. And then you can look really smart. Exactly. I'm like, well, that's a 1982 released on December 31st by John Russo, a guy who uh, co-wrote Night of the Living Dead with George Romero. who have never seen that. Come on. <laughs> you can be that, ho that howdy. You can horror movie fan. shame. Yeah. You can movie shame them. Yes. Yeah. I'm giving it a five. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I would rather watch this again than Midsummer. <laughs> and I and yeah. I would recommend this to not every horror fan I know. It's not. I know that there's some people I know who's not really their cup of tea. Uh, but oh, yeah. but the majority of horror fans I would recommend this to. Yeah, it would be easy to be underwhelmed by this film, but if you if you like '80s sensibility, I think you'd be in it. And it's an easy view. Yeah, like the well, like it's an hour and a half, and the time goes by fairly fast. Right. In the movie, like it doesn't lag. There's not any part of the movie that really that really slows it down. Sure. It's a couple you. of uh, times that you're just like, what? What the what the hell's going on here at this point? But you know, something's happened <laughs> at least. Right. So that is uh, our coverage of Colts in August of 2019, because that's I believe August is the I believe it's the month of Colts. That's what I read somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. I wrote it, then I read it, <laughs> just to make sense of this particular episode's theming. Right. <laughs> um. So, Jay. Would you like yes, to uh, plug your podcast? Thank you. I'd love to. And um, for the road as I go, I'd like to recommend a cult film to you and your audience if you all haven't seen it yet. There's a, a movie from 2012 called Children of Sorrow starring Bill Oberst. And it's a pretty good little cult movie. I mean, it's it's intense. It's disturbing. And... Uh, I, I think you'll be shocked. It's dark, and you can rent it for like four bucks on Amazon, and it's definitely worth that. Children of Sorrow. Children of Sorrow, 2012, right. directed by uh, Jordan McClure, starring Bill O'Burst Jr., and it's excellent. I, I I love it quite a bit. But but yeah, I'm Jay of the Dead. I, I have a podcast called Considering the Cinema. And my little tagline for that is it's the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of movie <laughs> podcasting. And the reason I say that is because half the time I do horror movies and the other half I do all the other genres. But if you're only, I assume your audience is, you know, mostly interested in horror, you can, you can find it at consideringhorrorcinema.com or consideringthecinema.com, either one. And, uh, then you'd get you know, strictly the horror stuff. But yeah, I'd love for people to check it out. And Ron, thanks for having me back. I always enjoy visiting your show. And I, I like the way that you you really unpack a movie, break it down like scene by scene and talk about it all the way through. That's fun. Well, thanks for being bringing some class to my show. I need it. <laughs> no problem. As for everyone else. You know you can check out the rest of the episodes, the other 305 episodes of the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast on Zombie7.com. Follow us on Facebook, the Resurrection of Zombie 7 on Facebook. Hit me up on Twitter. Give me a follow. Are you Serial 2? On Twitter, that's R-U-S-E-R-I-A-L, the number 2. I'm also on Instagram, NordTheGreatOne, N-O-R-T-H-E-G-R-E-A-T-1 the number one and on both of those social media sites we post everything from my other website i hate stuff.net because i tend to hate things as we've discovered at the beginning of this episode with a movie everyone else seems to like um and on that i call that one jay 
It's a um, horror tented pop culture site. <laughs> okay. So, cool. uh, I do some pop culture stuff on there, but it's, a lot of the stuff is about um, horror because that's just what's in my life. I still am going through all of the Marvel movies. I have first run, never seen them. I'm on uh, Iron Man three, I believe. Oh, okay. Here's nice. a um, little spoiler. It is called I Hate Stuff, and I don't really, I haven't really cared for these Marvel movies <laughs> to this point, uh, wow. to be honest. But okay. we do have some big announcements coming up in regards to that website as well. And we are, this week, probably, at some, well, probably the time this comes out, it may already be out. In the very near future, uh, we will decide what is the greatest episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> we already know what it is. I already know what it is. I've already done the rundown. I just haven't written that article yet. So if you're a big Buffy fan, be on the lookout for that. I hate stuff.net. And listeners, we will be back next month. It'll be Stephen King month. We'll be looking at the cinema cinematic release of it. Chapter two. And then yet as of yet undisclosed 1980s, Stephen King related movie so until then we'll see you guys next episode later zombies could it all be a bad dream or a nightmare is it my imagination or have we lost our minds it's surreal it's just not believable a grand absurdity